As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, I'm Wendy. And I'm Jess, and you're listening to the Food Heaven Podcast. Your online resource for inclusive and accessible wellness. Welcome back to the Food Heaven Podcast. I am so excited about today's episode because we are speaking to the godmother mm-hmm. of intuitive eating, <laughs> Evelyn Trivelet. Jess, <gasps> I know. <laughs> the Evelyn Trivelet. The like, Evelyn. Isn't this a dream come true? <laughs> I thought, yeah, I didn't think it was something that would be um, within our reach, as I think I mentioned in this episode. <laughs> Which, yeah, it's just insane that she is super kind, very humble, and was 100% down to be on our podcast. Yeah, and for those of you who aren't familiar with Evelyn, she is the author of nine books, and she's a co-author of the best-selling intuitive eating book, which for us dietitians who follow an intuitive eating health at every size model, it's kind of like our Bible in a way. (laughs) And we always recommend the book, not just to dietitians, but really to anyone who wants to incorporate more intuitive eating into their life. Yeah, so we are so excited to have Evelyn on the podcast, and we thought it would be really cool to talk about the idea of call-out culture because we have been noticing that it's just been running rampant. Um, We've actually been having conversations about this for the last like year or two. I've been listening to a lot of podcasts kind of going in on call-out culture, analyzing it, and kind of just how it can go wrong and backfire. And I know that We've probably both called people out before and both been called out. And we wanted to have a chat with Evelyn about having a compassionate approach to this idea of call-out culture. So we start off by talking about her personal experience with cancel culture, being called out, being afraid to be called out, how it's evolved. She talks about how it was a lot different from when she got started, how we've seen it kind of take presence within the dietitian community and some suggestions on how we can navigate that. We also talk about calling out versus calling in. There's a very clear distinction and it's really important that you kind of know what that is. And last but not least, self-care, self-compassion within this whole idea of call out and cancel culture. So this is one of my favorite episodes. Evelyn is such a joy to chat with. She's really fun and we hope you guys love it too. So let's just jump right in. Maybe I could just start by talking about, you know, how we had dinner, what was that, like a couple months ago, and we were both just talking about intuitive eating and a bunch of other things. And one of the topics that came up was this idea of how we've really like gotten to this place of you know, our society being very quick to call people out or even cancel people. So like the kind of call out and cancel culture. And we were both just saying how even us as, you know, progressive folks, like we still get scared sometimes that we might say the wrong thing or we might offend someone. And so it's always that kind of second guessing, which we were saying, like, if we're feeling like this, there's probably a ton of other people who are feeling like this too. And so we wanted to just kind of have a conversation about it. So welcome to the podcast, Evelyn. And I'm so excited to be able to have this talk. I am thrilled to be here. And it felt like dinner was yesterday. And, and yeah. you, this is an, an issue that's really near and dear to my heart, because you're right, if we're scared, <laughs> and we're kind of opinion leaders, sort of, you know what I mean? And when I talk privately to health professionals, they say the same thing. It's like, oh, I don't want to touch that post because I just didn't want to get, you know, called out. And I, I think, you know, in getting ready for this, I think Jessica or Wendy had asked me, have you ever been called out? And I want to start with that. <laughs> Yeah, let's start can. with that. <laughs> let's start with my, Let's you know, go there. Because, yeah. So I think 
part of what this is, let, let me start back with what my, my intention is. I'm actually here. I want to alleviate unnecessary suffering. And, and the model to do that from our work is, you know, intuitive eating and treating all bodies with dignity and respect and that we're not good or bad based on what we eat and so on. And I know that you guys know all that stuff, but what ends up happening is we start getting into social justice issues, which, you know, I was never officially trained and I keep learning about it as I go to conferences or, or as I have had mentors. And one thing we, you and I, Jessica, were talking about is in the old days, because I go back a long way, <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, in the old days, I would get called in at a conference really politely. Someone would say, you know, I don't think you can really say that. There's really no data behind that. And we'd have a conversation. And because it was a conversation and I was heard and the person with, with the constructive feedback was heard, I would learn from that. But I think what's happening today is in this call-out culture that happens so fast is that it, everything gets slammed, slammed down. And if you have a history of trauma or and shame and trauma in your, in your background, it sometimes feels not so easy to articulate your viewpoint. And, and so you say nothing or so you get afraid. And right now in our profession, we're in such a, a time of change. And one thing I hope to be is, is a bridge on that change. And so when I started thinking about this anti-diet model, and I love the, the, the phrase anti-diet, if we're going to be a bridge in that, what this means for most health professionals, myself included, is we're going to come into a place of cognitive dissonance. You know, most of us were taught weight-centric ways of existing in health, especially in our, in our field. And then we see new data, new research, and now a body of research that shows otherwise. And we're like, what? What? I just had this conversation with a doctor. She said 13 years ago, she, got, she discovered intuitive eating, and she was at a point where what she was seeing in her practice didn't measure. The weight-centric viewpoint wasn't, wasn't working, and she wasn't feeling good. And I think we need to have space to help process that and not judge other people by that. And so one thing I've been starting to do now in, in my training is to say, you know what? Some of the stuff I'm going to say might sound upsetting to you because it's going to go against things that you were taught. And sometimes the things that we were taught are, are belief systems. And belief systems don't change overnight with a, with a separate uh, set of facts. We have to kind of take it in. And we need space to help do this. But if we are shaming health professionals as they are contemplating stepping into health at every size, anti-diet and so on, we're going to scare them from crossing over. So we, we, my, my question or my, I think the challenge is how can we make this a welcoming space? How can we make this a welcoming space? And yet at the same time, when calling out, calling in needs to happen, we also need to do that. But how can we do that with, with skill? How can we do that with grace and compassion? Funny, I started off with this and I'm finally getting to my point. <laughs> so I had this thing happen where I posted something on my Facebook page and I was excited about what I posted. I'll just tell you what it was. It was a feature story in Vogue magazine with Elise Rush, the co-author of Intuitive Eating. I was thrilled. I couldn't believe some kind of magazine like that would actually give us time and space, let alone a feature thing. And I posted something like, oh my gosh, yeah. And then uh, an activist said, hey, thanks for throwing us under the bus without giving us a warning. I can see you were so excited, but look at, look at the setting here. And this is a mentor of mine. I'm not going to mention names right now. So I, don't think, I don't think we need to do that. Somebody I really respect. And it happened to be at a time when a lot of stuff was going on in my life. I thought, oh, my God, I don't even have the bandwidth to respond. I'm afraid to respond. I don't want to do her a disservice. And because it, was a, it wasn't even my professional Facebook page. It's the one where everybody's there, family, friends, professionals. And I thought, I don't want people dumping on the activist. You know, I didn't want this to turn into a thing. And so I sat on it and I thought, what do I do? And I woke up, I thought, I know what I need to do. I need to call her. Or I, so I sent her an email and saying, you know, I want to really talk about your comment and I want to really understand it. Because one of the ways that it actually really got my attention is she ended up, it makes, she felt hurt inside. That just got me. And so what we did is we set up a time to talk. We talked for about 45 minutes and in the beginning, it was an uncomfortable conversation, but I've got to tell you what her response in the email was, was something like, I'm so glad you want to talk about this. So I took a sigh of relief and go, okay, this might be an uncomfortable conversation, but we still have a, a relationship here. And I, I was concerned about the relationship because I respect her and I was concerned that I didn't fully understand my, my actions. And so that's how I started off. And then what we're talking about right now, what I'm talking about 
is the repair process. Is I want to understand fully the complete perspective of, of how, how this harms. We had a really, really good conversation. I had a better understanding. And I also shared with her how I felt. On, on, on one level, I, I was thinking, gosh, I'm on the same team here. You know, being on a health at every size is not easy. It's like same team, you know? And so it was, it was really wonderful to be able to process that. But I didn't start off the conversation that way because then it's all about me, you know? And so uh, we were both grateful for the conversation. I remember asking her at the end, I said, you know, I'm still not sure what to do about that post. I said, I don't have any bandwidth. And she said, as far as I'm concerned, our relationship was, is repaired and you, you can sit on this for a while and decide what to do. And I just, I just, let, it, I just let it lay like that. So what I've, what I've learned from my mentors, including this one, is that the more we're transparent with our own missteps, it helps other people make mistakes, you know? And so with, with right now, with the fourth edition of Intuitive Eating coming out, one of the things we've been really transparent on is how we've evolved. You know, we've evolved in terms of looking at more weight stigma issues and those kinds of things. And I've had people say, they've actually said this publicly, I can't believe that you're owning this. It's like, yeah, we need to. And even on the inside page, there's a listing of all my previous books. And frankly, there's a lot of them. <laughs> and Elise said, are you sure you want to put this in? Um, it, it's, it's, it's just something authors do. You list your books. And I said, yeah, I don't want to erase my history. I was trained in diet culture. My early writing reflects diet culture. And it's part of my evolution. And I want to make it okay for other dietitians and health professionals to come to that, that recognition too. So I think I've been giving a monologue. <laughs> <laughs> no, this no. is all super helpful. If you've been listening to the Food Heaven podcast, you probably heard us rave about the Go Macro Bar. My husband is actually their biggest fan. I don't know if you guys heard, he came on the podcast a few weeks ago and talked about how he's basically obsessed with the bars and has been having them every day as part of his afternoon snack. Mother daughter owned and based in a rural community, Go Macro's mission is to spread awareness for a balanced plant-based lifestyle with products that have a positive effect on the world. Made with real coconut, creamy almond butter, and fair trade dark chocolate, Go Macro's everlasting Joy Macro Bar not only tastes delicious, but helps support those in need. Year-round, a portion of the net proceeds from Go Macro's everlasting Joy Macro Bar goes towards feeding and housing those in need. To learn more about Go Macro's give back programs and give their tasty bars a try, make sure you head on over to gomacro.com and use the promo code FOODHEAVEN for 30% off plus free shipping. That's G-O-M-A-C-R-O.com using the promo code FOODHEAVEN to get 30% off plus shipping for free. All right, let's get to the episode. Yeah, I think it's I think this is really a great example because it speaks to the importance of respectful dialogue, because I think with call out yes. culture, it pretty much like just eliminates any kind of communication, compassionate communication, because I think yeah. within the health at every size community, like that's one kind of dialogue. But then you have dietitians that are like on two completely different sides of the equation, like you have the anti-diet dietitians and then you have dietitians that might be promoting weight loss or might be promoting restrictive diets or therapeutic diets. And so I think that it is really important for us to come together and be able to dialogue and learn from one another. And with call out culture, it's like everyone's walking on eggshells, especially I think more so yeah. for dietitians that are like in the gray area where they haven't really made up their mind. They're like, I'm not really sure. Like I can get down with some of the intuitive eating stuff, but I can also get down with like some of the stuff that might not align with intuitive eating. It just completely takes out the dialogue piece that I think is so important for us to yeah. to use as a learning tool as professionals. And you mentioned like call-in culture, call-out culture. I think it's important to distinguish those things. I, it would wow. be great if you could speak to that for people who are like, wait, what's the difference? Thank you, Wendy. That is so good. And, and, and let me also say, as I describe these things, this is not my area of expertise. So I'm going to tell you what my understanding is and someone can, can clarify or, or correct me. So calling-in culture calling in basically means you you want to spend and take the time to educate this person and it's going to take you time to do this and that's the thing we have to also recognize is that the person that's calling you in I personally view it as a gift that they're going to take their time and talk about something that's uncomfortable for me 
and maybe something they've talked about a million times because they've evolved way past me, you know? And so it's, it's really a gift in that, in that kind of way. So it's kind of an investment. And somebody who I really respect, uh, Desiree Attaway, and she's a, a social justice advocate. And one of her mantras is, are they reachable? Are they teachable? And are they ready? I think about that all the time because I'm in here for the long haul and I don't want to burn out. And I don't want people I train to burn out instead. So, for example, sometimes I will have people on my post, uh, when I, especially when I'm talking about how diets don't work and weight stigma, I, I get pushback. But in the pushback, and I'm prepared for that, I will often get a comment like, I just really want to understand. You can tell the sincerity. And when I make a post like that, I'm doing that to help educate. So I'm going to take the time to do that. But at the same time, I'm not going to spend my, waste my time on a troll who's just there to argue, you know? So part of it is also us respecting someone's pathway, that someone has done their own education and they don't necessarily owe you <laughs> it, it, all, all the information. And part of it is you doing your own due diligence. I think that idea is upsetting to some people. I personally don't mind spending time on educating, but it does get exhausting. It's like, oh my gosh, I post a body of research showing deconstructing how, how dieting doesn't work, focusing on weight loss doesn't work. And P.S., most of this research on dieting is done with medical supervision. We're not talking about fad dieting. And invariably, someone asks, what about health? It's like, oh my gosh, where in the conversation did I say you can't is, is health not part of this if you, if you want to focus on health and so on? So that gets exhausting sometimes. And I think sometimes people don't appreciate that. Call out culture is one of the best ways I've heard it described is by Reverend Angel Kyoto. She's a, she's just awesome. <laughs> she identifies as black, Buddhist, and queer. What she says is that, you know what? If we want to change the culture, we're not going to go about this by shaming people. If, if we want to be heard, we need to consider how we're delivering the message. And many times when we look at calling out, oh, my gosh, you can't do this, you can't say this, it's done sometimes with a, a real shaming tone. Sometimes it's done kind of performative that the person calling out is, is kind of attention seeking. I don't think that's always the case. I think sometimes the person is just exhausted and they've had it. <laughs> they've had it with the weight stigma. They've had it with the racism. They've had it with the all the isms, you know, and they just, they say what they're, what they're going to say. So I think we need to have a lot of space in this. And that's my perspective. Yeah. I also wanted to bring up calling on because that's a term that I recently Ooh. learned. I don't know if you've heard of Sonia Renee Taylor. She's like a black oh, body positive her. author. Yeah. And she did this like IG live that was so educational and she was talking about how calling in people can be so exhausting for all of the right. reasons that you said like you have to you know provide all this education with calling on people you state the harm that's happened and then you direct the person who is harmed to find resources and learn more about the harm that they caused mm -hmm. so that they might be able to repair restore and transform as needed so it's like you don't have to do all this work of being like here you know this is like why I think the way that I think or this is why this might be problematic but it's more so like I'm calling on you to do the work yourself to be able to kind of better understand where I'm coming from and why the, this might be problematic. I think that's awesome. That, that's, that's, you just educated me, Wendy. I thank you for that. That's, that's a great one. That's, that's wonderful. So many of you guys probably already know this, but in addition to being registered dietitians, Wendy and I are also certified diabetes educators. We basically help people who have diabetes or pre-diabetes manage their blood glucose levels. And throughout the years, I've probably worked with, I'm sure more than a thousand clients who have either diabetes or pre-diabetes, and they always have the same question. And that is how can I manage my blood glucose levels naturally? So I'm here. I have a suggestion for you guys who happen to be the podcast sponsor this week. And I think you guys are really going to want to learn more about this company. So Munique is a delicious and satisfying complete nutritional shake formulated with natural resistant starch a powerful type of prebiotic fiber to promote a healthy gut while improving your body's natural ability to manage blood glucose levels. 
How do we know that Munique can actually help with managing our blood sugar? Well, there have been over 200 scientific studies that have shown that the resistant starch is actually effective both long-term and short-term with managing your blood glucose. So if you or a family member is struggling and they want something that's going to be super beneficial for their diabetes or prediabetes, I highly recommend that they check out Munique. The other cool thing is the price point. So Munique is only $3.50 per portion. And the great thing about it is you can add more to it if you want to. That's my kind of favorite way to incorporate it if I'm having a smoothie for breakfast. My favorite flavor is the vegan chocolate. I'm not even the biggest chocolate lover, but I really like this. So if you're struggling with managing your blood sugar levels or you just want to improve your overall health and get more fiber in, look no further because Munique has you covered. So all you have to do is head on over to go.muniquelife.com slash foodheaven. That's G-O dot M-U-N-I-Q-L-I-F-E dot com slash foodheaven to get 33% off plus free delivery direct to your door. That's G-O dot M-U-N-I-Q-L-I-F-E dot com slash foodheaven to get 33% off plus free delivery to your doorstep. All right, y'all back to the episode. When me and Wendy were kind of prepping for this episode, one of the things that um, I came across was this speech by Barack Obama, where he was kind of talking about like some of the problems with the call out culture. And Mm -hmm. he was saying the world is messy. There are a lot of ambiguities and people who do really good stuff have flaws. And he said, there's this sense on, he said college campuses, but it applies kind of to the internet in general, that the way of making change is by being as judgmental of people as possible. And he said, if all you're doing is casting stones, you're probably not going to get that far. That's easy to do. I feel like that also really resonated with me in terms of um, (laughs) just this whole idea of like, you know, being quick to call people out and then like what responsibility falls on which person. I like the idea of like calling on, like you said, Wendy, because it then it's not exhausting the person who is calling in all the time. Cause that, that also, I forget, there's like a technical term for it, but that's a lot of work too, to always be, you know, in the work that you're doing, having to call someone in and having those conversations. So I thought that was really good as well. What he had said, Evelyn, I'm curious, like, I know you've been a dietitian for 20 years or no more than 20 years. Cause I know intuitive eating came out. The first edition was 1990, <laughs> 1994. Was it 1995? There you go. I'm, I'm just laughing. I've been a dietitian uh, for over 30 years. <laughs> so, and yeah, the, the book came out but I just, 25 years ago. I'm just curious, like, has the RD culture, like, have you been seeing more of the call out stuff happening more recently? Like how has this changed over the last, you know, couple of decades? <laughs> yeah, that's okay. Thank you. Um, and perhaps you're asking for the wisdom of my experience. That's um, exactly what I'm asking for. <laughs> you know, I have to tell you, I'm just going to be really honest. I've seen it get kind of nasty and it's shocking mm. to me. And I don't think it's an issue of being old school. I think part of it is social media in of itself, that when this is not done in person, I see a lot more of the hostility. But in person, I don't see it so much. And I, I think that's part of the problem is 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 that it, it's feeling that kind of a divisive in environment. It almost reminds me of our, our political system right now in the United States. Mm-hmm. It feels so divisive and very rhetorically. And I'll give you an example. This is going to be broader. Someone asked me this question in which they said, "How do you how do you handle this when a doctor says?" And this is actually was was in a newspaper where I, I don't remember the name of the doctor or the organization. It was some quote obesity organization. And I don't like that name because it's so contrived and and loaded with political rhetoric as opposed to science. And what his statement was, is that when it comes to weight and health, there is no debate. And that to me is a really, that statement is a really good example of the problem is that the nature of science is it's evolution. Science makes mistakes. It's supposed to, you discover, oh my God, we got it wrong. You know, like the H. pylori bacteria is the cause of ulcers, not your, not your lifestyle and so on. And so when someone's setting out this idea that we can't even go there and we can't even touch this, that, that does not form the bridge to communication and understanding. And that's just one example. And so the, the, I guess the real question is, is how, actually, let, let me give you an answer. 
I don't want to switch to an answer. I got invited to be a speaker at a conference I almost didn't do because it sounded so exhausting. And it was pitting, it, it, like, it was dyads of, of debate, people on, on different sides of opinions. And I ended up debating a um, food addiction specialist. Uh, this is a, a, a neuroscientist who did the rat studies looking at sugar and how it lights up the brain and so on and so on. I thought, why do I want to do this? And the guy that, that hosted it, uh, David Weiss, he wanted to be able to have what he called like, like a dialectical conversation like they did in old school ways where you have differences of opinion, but you can talk about them. You can talk about them with respect. And I will tell you, it was a really respectful conversation. I respect the scientist. I debated Nicole Avina. I, I felt the same from her and we completely disagree, but we had a great conversation and we actually agreed we would do it. We would do it again. And I think that's what's missing. You know, if we have to get off the, the rhetoric and start looking to seek to, to seek to understand you know? Yeah. Can you talk a little bit more about like that debate that you had and how, like what, can you give people like tips maybe for, you know, some of these like heated conversations or sometimes it feels like people don't even want to have these conversations to begin with. Like what are some things that are helpful for kind of creating a a brave space. Cause I've learned that like safe space uh, is, is more, you know, can be more of like a support group where you, you may not be as challenged and you can feel safe in that space, but brave space is where maybe you are going to be challenged. Your boundaries may be pushed a little bit, but it's all for the opportunity to grow. So if people are coming to, you know, these brave spaces, like what are some suggestions maybe pulling from that debate that you have that people can use? I think that's a really good question. And, and I think part of it just starts with respecting our humanity. Can we start there, you know, uh, and can we respect our lived experiences? And I think sometimes we forget as, as dietitians in this field, we have a lived experience working with people and seeing their pain. I think one of the reasons intuitive eating is becoming such a, a model that has stood the test of time is Lisa and I both come from the background of eating disorders work. So we had that lens that we were offering that made this look a little bit, a little bit different. And I will tell you what's interesting, uh, speaking to Nicole, Dr. Avina, you know, she was sharing with me when she was a, she was a grad student on that very famous study and what that was like and how to be in the place of having the unpopular opinion until recently, you know, her sugar addiction model has gotten a lot of, a lot of traction. And I actually respected that place where she was at. Do you know what I mean? To, mm-hmm. to be low on the totem pole in a research wise and to be in, in the minority of, uh, of an opinion of, of where you're at and boy, she still, she still kept at it, <laughs> you know? So I, I think those are some things that we can remember. I, I had another conversation with a, with a scientist whose specialty is quote, I'll just say weight science. I think that's a better term. And we started off with some, some uh, guidelines, ground rules. He had a question. He wanted to know why they can't use intuitive eating in the pursuit of, of weight loss. And my response to him in the email was, the answer is, is, is too nuanced to put just in an email. What, would you, what do you think about having a conversation? So I invited him to a conversation. And we had a wonderful conversation over Skype. And we both agreed that my reason for meeting with him is I want to understand where he's coming from. And he also agreed. He wanted to understand my perspective, that we're not necessarily going to change each other's minds. And I think when we start off with that perspective, that, that's a helpful way to begin a dialogue. And I think if we think about it, how are we going to change the culture? How are we going to change the systems, the oppressive systems, if we're not in conversation, you know? Mm-hmm. And I realize that's also easier said than, than done. And that's, that's, that's a big, big task at hand. But when we have our own uh, profession kind of at odds with each other, it's like, well, wait a minute. Let's, let's first remember our humanity and then let's talk about our, our differences, but, but we don't have to personalize it. I've seen that happen a lot also. So those, those are some, some ideas. That's what I, what I did in that, those two situations, you know? Yeah. I think respecting humanity is so important, especially now that for a lot of dietitians, we're operating on the online space with our work, especially Mm. with dietitians that are doing work around intuitive eating. A lot of them are in the online space and just like there's so much more opportunities now with the internet. And so um, Mm. we have more career options as dietitians. So a lot of this dialogue isn't happening, you know, on the phone or even via email. It's all happening on social media, which can be very limiting. And I think can also contribute to like stripping away people's humanity because you see them as like, 
a social media personality or is like an IG profile and not as a real person. So I'm wondering, yeah. like, how do we have that respectful dialogue online? Right. Because I was just Ugh. telling Jess, like I saw a post from a dietitian who we've actually had on this podcast and she created a post saying I'm not an anti-diet dietitian. And it's been I mean, I was looking at the dialogue in the comment section. It's been very interesting. And I think really healthy dialogue is happening from a lot of dietitians. Mm who are like, listen, like I've, you know, I've said the quote unquote wrong thing, you know, and just like trying to figure it out or learn or just like express how I feel about things. And it's like I'm being attacked by all the anti-diet dietitians. And then I've seen it go the other way, too, where like I've been attacked on social media for like, you know, questioning certain things that I would see as like problematic. And it's been like all of these like... <laughs> Just like right. all of these, oh like, you know, like health crazed people being like, oh, my God, like this is why people are dying because they're eating this. That It's like, right. you know, it's just uh. it goes to the extreme. And it's like, OK, are we forgetting that we're all human beings <laughs> like, you know, writing yeah, these right? messages? It's not like robots that are behind this, you know. want to take a short pause to talk about chronic pain for those of you that have experienced it in the past it is the absolute worst and aside from just being really uncomfortable for those of you that have experienced chronic pain you know that it can affect your ability to relax and get good sleep it can stop you from exercising I've shared on the podcast before my experience with chronic pain specifically joint pain can be really debilitating and it's just so frustrating when it keeps going on and on and I think a lot of like people who don't have chronic pain. They just, they don't really understand. Today's podcast sponsor is Omex Health. And I was so excited when they came on to partner with us because they specifically develop a product called CryoFreeze that helps with muscle and joint pain immediately for long lasting recovery. Their cryo-free CBD roll-on is a non-prescription triple action pain relief roll-on that was specifically formulated to block pain receptors, reduce inflammation, and also improve muscle and joint flexibility. It's 100% natural. The CBD that it has helps to enhance its pain relief properties, and you will feel the difference within 10 minutes of application. But I will say, like, because I've been using it now for a few weeks, and it's pretty instant. Like, you know, I, I roll it onto my skin, and within a minute, I'm already feeling it penetrate, and relief can last up to eight hours, which is much longer than over-the-counter products. We partnered up with Omax Health to hook you all up with a little discount. We're offering Food Heaven listeners 20% off a full bottle of cryo-free CBD pain relief roll-on. And the discount is actually going to apply towards any products on the site. They have other really cool products if you want to check them out. You can go to omaxhealth.com and our code for that 20% off is Food Heaven. So it's Omax, O-M-A-X, Health. Dot com enter the code food heaven to get 20% off cryo freeze and also any products on the site all right let's jump right back into our episode so there's two things I, I, I think of of when you're when you, as you're describing this and, and it's this idea of humility I think we need more cultural humility. I don't have your lived experience. We have to recognize in cultural humility, our own lived experiences and our privileges, especially our privileges, I believe, but they're all important. We need to have intellectual humility. It's because you're a researcher and an expert in one area. It doesn't mean that you have that same expertise. I've seen that time and time again, because you don't know what's missing in the data. You might look at the data right there and things seem to add up, but you don't know the confounders and the nuances because that's not your, your specialty. So having this Humility, I think, is, is something that's really missing. Because what I'm seeing a lot culturally is a lot of verbosity, you know? And then I, I think when it comes to our field, especially what's hard about it, there's a lot of identity. I'm seeing this in patients. I'm seeing it on a cultural level that people identify themselves based on what they eat. I'm a coordinator. I'm mm. this. I'm that. And you know what? When did this become a religion? 
the moment that happens, like I'm better than you because I eat this way. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. In fact, we even would say about uh, intuitive eating on the honor your health with gentle nutrition, the nutrition part's non-denominational, meaning we don't attach ourselves to one pattern of eating. There's many, many, many ways to do it. And it's up to you to help figure that out with your client or with the, per- or the person themselves who are speaking that. What's, what's the best fit for them? And that's, that's, that's where I think it gets into like this territorialism, you know, where it becomes problematic. And so I think part of it is, is recognizing the humility and the humanity. So for example, when I'm talking to doctors about weight stigma, often the first thing I'll say, if it's true, <laughs> if I know them and I know it to be true, I'll say, you know, I really, I really understand you care about your patients. Or I might say, if I don't know them, I haven't met a doctor yet. That, that doesn't, that didn't get into medicine because they care about, they, pay, they care, they actually care. And so then I might say, you know, I'm seeing patients now, so I'm using my lived experience as a practitioner, I'm seeing patients now that don't want to go to the doctor because they're afraid they're going to get the lecture about weight. And that's not good for their health care. We need to figure out a different way to do this. And so when I do it that way, it's like, well, how can we work together to solve this problem? P.S. I don't say in that moment you're part of the problem. Eventually, I will get there. But we have to have uh, we have to be considerate about how we how we do these kinds of things. Because the moment you say you're the problem, all the defenses come up, and I'm not going to hear words you have to say. But if you say, "Hey, I think you're a compassionate person," but what's going on in the medicine right now is is misdirected and actually causing unintentional harm. It's having an impact. We need to find a different way to do this. And I've I've got some ideas. Would you be open to a conversation? Or I've got some studies I'd love to share with you if, you, if you'd be open to reading them, stuff like that. And I don't think people like being told what to do or to have things shoved down their faces either, you know? Yeah, I love that idea. And I feel like leading with, we're all kind of in this together. We all want what's best for the patient, even though yeah. right now we may not have the same common understanding of what that is, but having the conversation I think is really important. My, I guess, thing is what happens when you have that? Because I've had cases where I've had that initial conversation and then nothing changes where it's like, okay, <sighs> this is yeah. something that's not helpful for the patient. I, you know, maybe we shared the patient. Maybe the patient is telling me that they don't want to come to a visit with you because they're going to be triggered. And, you know, maybe I'll gently try to send an article like, Hey, read this. I think this is brilliant. But then I feel like kind of what you were saying in the beginning, it takes so long for people to really kind of embrace some of these ideals and do the research. And so what happens like in the meantime, when you do feel like, you know, someone is harming and you have the conversation and it, it tends to like keep, they tend to maybe keep harming or the patient continues to complain about them. Maybe, you know, you're, it's someone you guys are both working with. Have you ever had that scenario? And like, if so, do you have suggestions? (laughs) I I have many and, and, and they might not be satisfying or, or the issue is, is, is figuring out what matches you and your situation. So one of the very first things I do when I'm having this conversation with a patient, I like to affirm and acknowledge where they're at. How does it feel to be getting mixed information or two opposite things from a doctor you have a relationship and respect and from me, who I think you respect? <laughs> I like to own that because then there's like a big, oh my God, it's stressful, you know? And so I like to find out what's going on. And is there a good relationship if we're talking about a, a physician and if the answer is, yeah, it's like, okay, what are we going to do to help heal this relationship for the benefit of, of, of the patient? And so it, it depends. If, if there's a doctor-patient relationship where it feels, where a patient goes in and they feel they can't say anything because they're so stressed out or so nervous, we know that, that part of the diagnostic and part of the, the treatment is based on history and based on, on rapport. And if they're not able to have this conversation, I'll say, you know, what would you think about getting a second opinion? And, and I do get pretty opinionated with, you know what, but it is, I'm like a mama bear when it's to my patients. Like, I don't want them getting hurt, you know? So I give them the information that they're adults and can make the decisions. One of the, the best examples that you're saying this came to mind where I had a, a new patient. So I was the new practitioner in the health team. And there was an alternative, and by the way, I have no problem with alternative uh, practitioners. There's all kinds of ways to do this stuff together in the interest of the patient. But in this particular case, this alternative practitioner was doing some things that I thought were questionable. I thought, do I say this stuff now? What's my rapport like with this patient? 
And I just remember just taking it all in, like, that's interesting. And, and, and saying something like, you know, there's some other research that suggests otherwise. So I said it kind of, kind of just like laying it down without making a, a forced choice kind of situation. And long story short, in our work together, by the six-month time period, I'll never forget this. I was seeing the patient weekly. She came back in. She goes, I fired my doctor. I go, what, what, what? <laughs> she, goes, wow. she goes, I know he's done some alternative stuff, but today he recorded, this week he recommended that I go on 500 calories. And I know from my lived experience and the oh things God. that you taught me, that's going to hurt my body. So I said, adios, doctor. I said, you said that? <laughs> she said, no, in my mind I did. <laughs> That's brilliant. So you know what, that's, that's where it's, it's really nuanced. And part of the nuance in this too, it, it's something that I see with healthcare practitioners, especially new ones, especially like five years and less. And this is not a slam on the newbies out there, but they, they come out with all the information. They know it all. <laughs> they read all the studies. They can cite this or that. And you can put somebody on some of these diets and have outcomes short term that look pretty good. But you start staying with that patient for five years where we see the cutoff data, two to five years, and after a while, it doesn't feel good. It's like, oh, my God, this, this patient is like an amazing person, and the stuff I'm doing is not effective. And, and it causes that dissonance from your own lived experience. So I find when you have it as a lived experience, plus now you've got this other research, that's what causes you to, to think about doing it a different way. So another thing I think about for my own my own mental health, as I think about how many times does it take a health professional to be exposed to new information to be willing to change? Let's say with health at every size or intuitive eating. Well, what if it takes 10 exposures? Part of it being reading new information from people they trust, hear, going, hearing it from people they trust, and then seeing the experience in their patients. Maybe it's 10 times, maybe it's 20. And maybe I'm going to be the first person on that notch. So I consider it that I'm, I'm watering, either I'm planting the seed or I'm watering it. And that's, that's what uh, gives me hope because I've seen people come around. But once again, if we're rubbing their nose and shaming somebody about it, I don't think we're going to get that kind of change. We're going to get defensiveness. So I don't, does that help the, 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 the situation? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I think that's really okay. helpful. And I think also understanding that some people don't come around and that's okay too, because yes. it can be so exhausting to, you know, kind of like convince people in a way. And also like that, I think, having that mentality of like you have to convince someone takes away from the dialogue and like just right. learning from yes. one another so it's like sometimes you just have to step back and you know offer whatever it is that you can offer in that dialogue and I want to emphasize dialogue because I think a lot of times it's like yeah. two people coming together just being like this is how I feel and I'm not going to change my mind and this is why I'm right and I think that's what that's the key piece that's missing and a lot of you know these interactions yeah. that we're having especially online it's like no one is willing to change change or learn about the other person's point of view and about the information that they're sharing, especially within the nutrition field. Cause it's like, you know, and I love that you said that with the functional nutrition, like it can align with intuitive eating. It's not like completely yeah. independent of each other, but I think a lot of times with the way that these dialogues go down, it's like, there's this assumption that no, it has to be like all right. functional nutrition or it has to be only intuitive eating. You know, Wendy, I just have to add, I, I can't agree more with what, what you said about this idea that you have to change people's minds and convince. Because I've had people say, Evelyn, how have you, have you stayed in this field for so long? <laughs> you know, <laughs> and that's, I, I came to terms with this. I can't even say when it was, but I, I'm kind of like that old redwood tree. You know, I'm here, I'm grounded. Uh, here's a new, this is a different path to operate. I'm here and willing to share the information, but I know I can't make somebody do it. And eventually, not all, but not all, will, you know, they, they know they can come around in this way. I think that can be really helpful. The other thing I've seen often, well, I shouldn't say often, I've seen it, let me just say it this way, is misunderstandings, as you were alluding to about functional nutrition and functional medicine, that it has to be one way or, or the highway, you know, this or that. It's like, no, you can integrate it. You know, that's what functional medicine is, is integrative medicine. And so it's functional nutrition, we can integrate this with intuitive eating. And that's beautiful. We still keep the, the experience of our clients and our patients front and center. They are the ones centered. We're raising up their expertise. We have some ideas on some things that can work. We can let them give it a try. Take it first. I, I say I'm, I'm a tour guide. <laughs> I'm a tour guide 
of your body. And I'm going to show you some rides you can take and you can decide, do I like that ride? I like how that feels. And you can say no, you know, or yeah, I feel better uh, doing this kind of thing. And I'll tell you what gives me hope is I'm having um, actually a lot of naturopaths now are starting to take training intuitive eating. In fact, some of the universities up in, in Oregon are requiring it as part of their training. And I've had some functional medicine doctors also. So one of the That's things, awesome. I, again, I keep, I'm coming back to what I said. If we, we're really caring about the needs of our patients, this watching this unnecessary suffering over and over and over again doesn't feel good if you're in a healing profession. And this is a pathway that can really help. And also, it feels so much better on the inside out, you know? Yeah, I love yeah. that more functional medicine doctors are taking your courses and learning because we've definitely had a handful of people on our podcast who would maybe identify as more functional medicine, but also try to do it within the lens of intuitive eating. And it seems like they find a way to kind of really mesh those two backgrounds well in a way that's serving their patients, whether it's um, PCOS or fertility stuff. So that's amazing that you're seeing that trend as well. One question I have is, so for the person, let's say the dietitian, for example, or just someone in general who is anxious about posting something because they are fearful of someone calling them out or yeah. somebody having something to say about it or just negative feedback in general. Like, what do you think, how do you think they should go about that? Or, or is self-compassion like the way, or, or is there any questions you should start, you know, like in your mind, start with, or I don't know, like any tips for that? Cause I feel like that's something that yeah. has definitely crossed my mind. And I've seen a lot of dietitians and other people say like, yeah, they're kind of scared to put anything out there, which sucks because you don't want people to feel like they're tiptoeing around the internet or their profession. Completely agree. So the, one of the cool things about social media is you get to be in charge of your platform, you know? Yeah. So one of the things I do when I know I'm going to post, post something that I'm going to get pushed back on, I make sure I, I set a boundary and the boundary is something like this, that this is a safe space for people healing from diet culture. You know, if you have a genuine question, I, it's actually, it's in my disclaimers. If you take a look at my disclaimers on my Instagram feed, I have all of that in there. And so part of it is you can set the tone. Now I'll tell you something I do, but I'm not so sure. I run it by somebody who's in that space, somebody who is an activist in the area, somebody who has more lived experience in the area, or just another set of eyes. They have the same experience I do, but I'm not so sure. And sometimes I'll tell you, I, I do, I get, a little anxious about it, but I also think that, oh, okay, oh my God, I have to tell you this story. I will never forget this. It was another book I was writing and I had contacted a researcher just to fact check his name, how to spell it. And he, he in, in the email, he sent back to me, it stunned me and basically saying that I, my whole book premise is wrong, blah, 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 blah. And I thought, I just wrote oh a whole God. book. I'm about to submit it to my publisher. Did I miss something up? So I called a Nash, another researcher who happened to be at the National Institutes of Health, had a conversation, interviewed him, and he said to me, Evelyn, would you rather be right or would you rather be popular? I will never forget that. And I said, you know what? I don't ever mind being right if I'm standing on good data. I don't care about the, the popularity aspect. And how long ago was that? This is some years ago. I think about that when I'm posting something that sometimes I'm going to post something that might make somebody feel uncomfortable because it's at odds with their current belief system. But if I know I'm standing on the path of, of healing, I'll take the heat for that. And so what I do on those cases, when I'm posting something, I'll get pushback on, I make sure I post it on a day that my stress is decent to the, as far as I know, <laughs> that I have the bandwidth <laughs> to monitor the post. And that's what I just say is really important is that if you know you're posting something that's going to get some conversation, number one, good for you, but make sure you're there to monitor and, and participate in it so it doesn't get out of hand. And I will tell you, I have a, a sad lived experience on that, that I posted something on a Saturday. I thought it was a very innocuous post. It actually was. But, but somebody wrote in something, and I, I wish I remember what the details were, and they got into like this side debate, side discussion. And the, the next day, somebody called me in and said, Evelyn, you got to go monitor your post. This is going, I had no idea. And I looked and there was some weight stigmatizing things that were going around. The person throwing the weight stigma, I truly believe, did not realize the impact. But my point is, I didn't do my job. 
And so that taught me a very important lesson that I, when I post something, I'm going to be around to monitor it, at least for the first you know, few hours. The, the problem that happens, talking about a lived experience, and you guys are here, when you, the more you have followers, you can't monitor every single thing that goes down in there either. You know? So it's one of those delicate things. And hopefully you have other people that are also part of your eyes and ears, which is something else I do when I'm posting something. It's like, hey, can you let me know if you see something I should put attention to if I missed it or something? So those are some things. So my, my ultimate advice is, you know what, let's get the conversation going. Yeah, I'm so happy we, ha- we had this conversation because I think a lot of dietitians think about this all the time, especially now that we're operating a lot online. There's so much anxiety around expressing how you feel or even like questioning certain things. So I think that this is going to be super useful. For me, the the most important thing that you mentioned is just like people's humanity, y'all. Don't forget that there is a real person, you know, behind the screen. And, you know, when you say like really hurtful or judgy things or shameful things, it's like there's someone on the other end receiving that. And so let's all be a little more mindful mindful about how we communicate with people and like would you really tell someone that in real life think about that because I think a lot of times when people write these things and they edit them and they perfectly you know you know like put them together in sentences a lot of times they don't feel comfortable telling um someone someone these things in real life so I think it's really an important question to ask but Evelyn this was so great we learned so much from you thank you for all the work that you have done in this field like you're like our dietitian superstar role model everything oh my god (laughs) You oh, really are. Thank you. You really are. Oh, I love so- watching you guys, your platform oh. grow and all the wonderful things you're doing. So thank you. Back at you. Thank you. No, I think also I was going to say, and you're so down to earth <laughs> because oh. I think sometimes when, yeah, you're kind of high up in the profession and the one that people look up to, it's easy to kind of potentially let it get to your head. But yeah, you're like the most down to earth, one of the most down to earth dietitians I've ever met and super humble. Oh, so you. I think that's just the cherry on top. For people who want to learn more about your work, I know you have a new edition of Intuitive Eating come out. Can you let them know where to find you? Yeah, well, I'm most active social media wise on Instagram. So that's at Evelyn Tribbley. There's our website, intuitiveeating.org. My website is evelyntribbley.com. And yeah, let's, let's have a conversation. One of my aspirations, once all this corona pandemic settles down, I, I really want to get out and connect with people in person for the very things that we were just talking about. I want to have a conversation in person. So, yeah. (laughs) I love that. Well, make sure you check Evelyn out on socials and on her website to stay tuned on all of the in-person stuff she'll be doing once all this madness passes us. And again, Evelyn, thank you so much for joining us. We'll catch you. you next time. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of the Food Heaven podcast. If you haven't already, make sure to connect with us online. We're most active on the gram at Food Heaven, but we're also on Facebook and Twitter at Food Heaven Show. If you like this podcast, make sure to rate, review, subscribe, and share with a friend. Yep, our podcast is released every Wednesday and each week we take a deep dive into topics like health at every size, food and culture, intuitive eating, mental health, and body acceptance. If you're looking for a sustainable and inclusive path to wellness, come hang out with us to learn how to take care of yourself from the inside out. We'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye.